Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Luck out of the gun. Mack to his left as the running back. And they'll hand it off to Mack. He's at the five. He's in the end zone. Touchdown, Marlon Mack. Welcome back to another edition of the Colts cast. I'm your host, Chris Blystone, and I'm joined here by Jim Campbell and Chris Shepard. How's it going, guys? Great. Thank you. Well, so a special level of of dedication here because Jim is actually broadcasting from a hotel. (laughs) He and his family are at Holiday World, uh, a theme park in the southern part of Indiana, enjoying themselves. So props to you, Jim, for the dedication on our second podcast here. Not a See, I, uh, I've just got to say, Jim, with the heat, um, I feel like being in, having any excuse to be inside in the air conditioning is probably a good one. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it wasn't as bad down here today as I expected. I mean, it got to like 89, but we were in the water oh, most wow. of the day, so it actually kind of turned out to be perfect. Man, I'm pretty jealous, actually. <laughs> it was a good day. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a good day to not be directly in the heat or to be in the water because it's it's kind of ugly out there. So um, so if you hear a little feedback from Jim, uh, that's the reason why you'll, you'll probably have noticed in our last episode uh, there were some production issues. Our producer really screwed things up. Uh, we had to let him go. Uh, so uh, first look. Yeah, yeah, they're laughing because I'm the producer. So, uh, so in in post production, I I messed up the tracks and got Jim uh, a little offset. So it sounded like he was just coming crashing into everybody's dialogue the whole time. Uh, Jim might be a jerk sometimes, but he definitely is not just a guy who's going to talk over everybody else. So I apologize for that. I don't think that we're going to have those same problems, but it's a work in progress. We'll continue to get better as we go. Um, all right, guys. So so this episode. Well, first of all, thanks. We actually have already gotten some feedback, uh, you know, and I think mostly positive and, 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 you know, good critical feedback, which we really appreciate because that's, that's a good thing. Love that. Please subscribe, uh, rate and review the podcast. It does help us to know, um, you know, get the pulse of things. And we really do appreciate that. Uh, and let's the people who are watching what we're doing know that you're enjoying what we're doing. And so really appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter and all that. We'll drop those, uh, those, uh, the, our logins and everything uh, at the end of the show uh, handles there. And uh, so today we're actually going to be talking the offensive position groups because we are one week, only bit of news we're going to cover. We're one, we're one week out from training camp or the, the 24th is when everybody reports to training camp. And I think they actually get started with practices on the 25th. So we're getting close to real, well, quote unquote, real football activity. 
And uh, so we're going to actually go through each position group on the offensive side of the ball and talk about them because uh, maybe you don't really know some of the new faces and maybe you're not really sure what to look at. If you're going to go to training camp, this will maybe help you to get a handle on who to keep an eye on, what battles to, to watch. We're not really going to dig too much into training camp battles specifically. Uh, we're going to save that for another show, but we are going to talk about the position group outlook and some questions that we've got about those things. So we're going to jump right in uh, out of the gate. We're going to start with, uh, this is kind of a softball question here because he is, you know, in a hotel on his <laughs> vacation. Um, so we're going to, so we're going to start with Jim. Uh, court, talk about the quarterback room, Jim. What What is the, is this the best quarterback room in the NFL? Yes. Are we done? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, moving right along. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I actually, I think so. I, I went and did a little bit of digging on this and, you know, the, the hardest part about this was just the small sample size of Jacoby in general. Um, but, you know, I, I think I'm not the only person on the show who thinks that Lux at least a top five quarterback in the league. Um, and Jacoby based off what we saw in his athleticism and, you know, if you look at around, you know, the NFL media sphere, um, most people consider him in the top tier of backup quarterbacks. Um, and so I think if you have those two, we're, we're sitting in probably one of the best quarterback positions, if not the best quarterback position in the league, as far as not just our starter, but our backup, um, and to compound that, I think our coach plays a big role in this too. Um, I think having Frank Reich, who, you know, I think we all know what his history was as a player. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I watched all four of those Buffalo Super Bowls. And, you know, I know who helped get them <laughs> to some of them. And, um, you know, the way he talks about Jacoby. And to have somebody who prepared like a starter and actually played like a starter when he was a player coaching a guy who's in that same position, who has the skills that we you know, think Jacoby does, uh, I think that plays a huge role in how good our quarterback situation is in general. Jim, Jim, would you rather have Jacoby Brissett or would you rather have, or would you rather have Joe Flacco? Oh, Jacoby. I've never, Would you rather have I've never been Brissett high. or Lamar Miller or not Lamar Miller, Lamar uh, Lamar Jackson? Um, that's a good question. I actually would be a bit conflicted there. I could go either way. Would I, you? I might I might lean towards Lamar just because we've seen um a bit more from him uh, and what he can do behind an actual functioning offense. Uh, and, and part of you know the issue with although we had an, roughly an entire season of Jacoby starting, um, you know, he wasn't put into the best position, and no. uh, he wasn't set up to succeed. And um, so, I think just based off production and what we have seen, I might go with Lamar. But honestly, I like Jacoby a lot, so I, it'd be kind of a coin toss for me on that one. But I. I and I might lean uh, Lamar on that one. See, I I lean strongly Jacoby both ways. So I I was really hoping that we could just we could really hammer that, that one out. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, yeah I, but that's okay. 
Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you there, Shepard. I, I definitely would take Jacoby in both of those uh, in terms of just, I mean, he, he's a pretty accurate passer. Yeah. Um, and he, he isn't going to have maybe the dynamic playmaking ability that Lamar Jackson has, but also that's not needed in Frank Reich's offense. So I think, I think he really is an excellent backup that, I mean, I think the point Shepard, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, stepping on what you're trying to say, but the point I think where he could, he could be playing in a starting role somewhere and yes. probably improve a team. So he's a very good backup um, and a very strange Twitter follow. If you've been watching him, this yeah, it's uh, been weird, 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 real weird. weird. Um, but apart from Jacoby, um, we got a pretty good starting quarterback. And so, <laughs> you know, the question that I have is, you know, what are, what do you think our expectations should be for luck in year two of this offense? Um, well, I think last year you you touched on it, or not last year, but last episode you touched on it just briefly about how Luck's best seasons have been with his, you know, winning the second year of a scheme. And so we've got that coming around here real soon. Um, I don't think his touchdown numbers are going to be as high, and we talked about that uh, the last episode as well. Um, and a lot of this is, is being, you know, um, is my opinion is being somewhat skewed by what the organization itself is saying about their, you know, their uh, commitment to running the ball this season. So I'm, I'm kind of skewing everything with that in mind. But then again, that could always change. Games are fluid. You know, we, we've seen situations where they really wanted to run the ball, but then Andrew ends up throwing a million times. Um, but with a healthy ish, I say that off season with the whole calf injury, that's, been around um, here prior to training camp and the second season of uh, ranks or right scheme going. I, mean, I expect him to take more control of this offense, be more efficient and confident. Um, we saw last year, he sometimes had a tendency like to throw behind guys on crossing routes and stuff like that, which I think is more of a timing issue than say anything like arm strength or something like that. And so I, I expect that stuff to be cleared up. Um, and I also expect Reich himself to be cleaning up some of the, you know, of the issues. Like I don't know if you guys remember the Giants game, uh, that weird interception that Andrew had, where it's just like he had no outlet, and he just attempted to throw the ball away, and it just kind of roughly sailed kind of into the end zone and got picked off. Um, I remember it clearly because I watched it happen in front of me. I was at that game, and I'm just going. What, what was that? And and then Reich, you know, took some ownership of that. It's like you know, I didn't give him an option beyond that. Um, you know, yeah. And and Luck has a tendency in those situations not always to make the best decision yeah. because he is a little bit more likely to kind of go for it. He really doesn't want to give up on a play even if it would make a lot more sense to give up on a play. And so it, it, blame shared on both sides. But I think, I think you're right. I think we should look for him to see, to see maybe a more efficient year, but I don't know. I don't know in terms of numbers. So here's what I want to give you guys both uh, over under on touchdowns and yards, 37 touchdowns, 4,400 y- passing yards uh, for Andrew Luck in 2019. What do you think? I think he's going over that, but on both. Both. Okay. Um, I'm going with my whole run the damn ball and I'm thinking he's going to be under. So this is really interesting because 
he has only gone over this a couple of times in terms of either of those things. He's been, I, I picked this number pretty intentionally. It's about as close as I could get to what I'm guessing he'll be at. Um, I think, I think they may hand the ball off in the red zone a little bit more often, and maybe that'll dig into some of his touchdowns. I don't think that any of those things would be an indicator that he's you know playing badly. So um, I, I, I would tend to maybe take the under, but I think it'll be really close to that. And I think that that would be, if they get the run game established really well, that would be indicative of a really good season. So um, it's crazy to think that 37 touchdowns and 4,400 yards is like, like might not make your jaw drop or something. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to think that that is the NFL that we watch these days. Um, okay. Well, I think, I think we pretty much, I mean, quarterback is one of those positions. We know kind of where we stand. Um, there's some question from some people in terms of, of, you know, how good Andrew Luck is. And I think generally those people don't watch enough football. So we won't, you know, worry too much about that. He, he's a very talented player, and I think we should expect him to be better uh, this year than he was last year. So we'll jump into running backs. Um, Shepard, we've got uh, we've got a pretty decent stable of running backs, I feel like. Um, so you know, with Marlon Mack kind of probably, I mean, assuming that Marlon Mack is going to take the lion's share of those carries, what do you think his ceiling is uh, for the coming season? So it- – on the when we did predictions last time, you mentioned about how uh, how you thought you were going to look stupid for saying that Marlon Mack was going to be top three in the league for total yards. I don't think that I really don't think you're going to look that stupid. Assuming Marlon Mack can stay healthy, I think that that his his limit with this offensive line in an offense with Frank Reich that he does want to run the football. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to think that he can't put up close to 1300 yards on the ground. Uh, and then whatever he chips in, you know, in the passing game would add to his yardage total. Uh, I think last year he had just over a hundred yards receiving. So, you know, not that much, but he totaled more than a thousand yards, total yards last year. And he only played in 12 games. So I think that Marlon Mack can be uh, a really, a really productive back. I don't know that I think that he's maybe the in the top five most talented running backs, but I think that he could be top five most uh, most productive. Uh, and for this offense, I think he can be the guy that the Colts need. I absolutely agree with that. I don't. I wouldn't say. Uh, I don't think that anybody who watches him looks at him and thinks he's just really uh, a ridiculously talented guy. He has some things he does really well, and I think he's a really mm-hmm. good scheme fit with our uh, with our offense, and especially behind that offensive line when he gets space, uh, which they're able to give him. Uh, he just, he's got that kind of breakaway speed that is just really tough to deal with. So I'm excited for what he can do. Um, So the player that I'm wondering, and I, of course I said, this was my fallback to the pack guy, but Naheem Hines, I'm interested to see uh, what his year looks like in 2019. Do you think he still has a, what kind of impact can can he have in, in this, this year with some of the new bodies that are coming in? And maybe with a more focus on a, on a running game, what do you think he? What do you think his role in this offense is going to be this coming year? I mean, I, I think his role is going to be similar to what it was last year. Um, I think that the only the only way really that his numbers get eaten into a lot, and I know you mentioned this before, um, is if Jack Doyle really eats into those those attempts and those catches that um, that Hines may have otherwise gotten. But really, I think that. I think that using a back out of the backfield is going to be something that the Colts continue to look to do. Um, 
and you know, he may not have quite the same year that he did last year. I mean, he had, you know, over 700 yards, almost 750 total yards last year. So he may not have quite as productive of a year, uh, but I don't think his fall off is, is going to be huge. Uh, I think that they're still going to, they may not target him 81 times this year, um, but I think he's still going to catch a lot of passes and he's still going to get his opportunities. I think that that is his role. And I think that, uh, I think, I think that when they drafted him, they knew exactly what they wanted to do with him. And they showed us last year what they wanted to do, and I think that that's going to continue until uh, until he's you know either no longer on the team or he's unable to do it. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I mean, he did start to run better as the year went on. I thought uh, just from a pure running standpoint, he never looked bad. But he's all I mean, he's a small guy, uh, but he runs pretty tough for a guy his size um, and. I think that, you know, kind of got him more carries maybe than he would have had otherwise. Um, so Spencer Ware kind of went under the radar as an addition so much so that Jim forgot about him until uh, midway through the last episode. Uh, but, yep. you know, he's he's one of those additions. So you're first of all, you're you're in Kansas City area mm-hmm. and ha- had a chance maybe to watch him more closely than we did. What? what kind of a player should we expect to get in terms of Spencer Ware? Because he's, he's kind of that afterthought in this uh, running backs room. Right. Well, I mean, I'll just say this. So I've got a lot of friends who are chiefs fans. And uh, when Kareem hunt did what Kareem hunt did, everyone was super upset. Everyone was super disappointed. Number one, that he did it. Number two, that they, that they lost. The chiefs have had this weird run of running backs since priest Holmes. They, it seems like they've, they haven't had a bad running back since, before Priest Holmes. Uh, and they thought that they had found their next guy in Kareem Hunt. Uh, he does what he does. He gets cut. He's now on the Browns. That is what it is. But when Spencer Ware left the team, nobody cared. <laughs> um, that, that's not to say that Spencer Ware is a bad player. Um, but I think really, I think I, I don't expect a lot out of Spencer Ware if he makes the team. Uh, if he makes the team, him and him and Jordan Wilkins might be battling for a spot. Wilkins, I thought, played well last year, kind of. Uh, he didn't. He didn't do a lot. So I think that really it's going to be a battle between those two guys, um, you know, for that third spot. And I think that um, you know Ballard has experience with Spencer Ware. He probably likes who the guy is. Uh, he probably thinks that you know he can do some good things. Um, you know, so I think that there's some familiarity there between Spencer Ware and Chris Ballard. Whether or not he can beat out Jordan Wilkins, I don't know. Um, but really, I think that that he's in play. If they keep four running backs, he might be the fourth. If they only plan to keep three, uh, then I think that it's going to be between those two. Yeah, I, I'll admit I'm a little bit of a Jordan Wilkins truther. I I am kind of I'm a kind of a fan of his. Uh, he just I watched his film. I broke down and I don't remember what game it was. It was a, an early game, and the guy just didn't lose yards. Um, and he, I mean he always was falling forward. There were some no win runs where it was like the offensive line was blown up. There's a guy in the backfield and he still gets a yard, or, or at least gets back to the line of scrimmage. It was just like. I mean, he didn't have a lot of sample size. He was basically the meat of his year was uh, early on when Marlon Mack was hurt. And he didn't do a lot. He's not the most gifted, um, but he didn't make stupid mistakes. Now, he did have three fumbles in the time that he, in the limited uh, carries that he had. So that's definitely problematic. But I feel like because of Chris Ballard's style, if they're pretty close, you're going with the young guy. And maybe Mm -hmm. I'm wrong, but generally it seems like if you – if you don't know or you're not sure 
which way to go, then maybe the the youth is going to be the thing that wins out. So it'd be interesting to see. I kind of think they keep four just because of how they like to use backs. But if they don't, and they do have some tough decisions to make uh, at, at some other spots on the roster, it'll be interesting to see that how that battle shakes out. Um, I agree. So where do you think that this running back room rates in the AFC South? So I think that that, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to upset some Jags fans here, but um, I think it really comes down between Indianapolis and Tennessee. Uh, I think that we saw Derrick Henry play better than he's ever played before last year for like six weeks randomly. Um, So, you know, if he keeps that up, if he keeps playing like that, um, then, you know, you kind of have to look to a a running back room um, that has a a former all pro uh, in um, Lewis. And then, you know, you've got Derrick Henry there who, who played really well. Um, And I think the Colts are probably second to them. Now, if he comes out and he regresses back to the Derrick Henry we all knew and loved for the first little bit of his career, um, then I think the Colts can make a a really strong play for it. Um, The Jaguars, I'm sorry, Leonard Fournette, um, he doesn't do anything for me. Uh, He doesn't do a whole lot for them either. Um, (laughs) He gets suspended. Yeah, he gets suspended. He does really stupid stuff. I mean, he's he. what's the average? I I don't know, 3.8 yards per carry? I mean, he's better than Trent Richardson, but not by like a lot. (laughs) So, you know, is he was he a great prospect? Sure. And then once he got to the league, he's done nothing. And he keeps talking about how easy the NFL is. Well, dude, if it's so freaking easy, put up four yards per carry baseline. Like, I, I it doesn't matter. Like, just do that. Um, well, when you don't play half the season almost every year, it does seem pretty easy. Well, yeah, it probably would. You're getting paid comparatively a lot of money because he was the fourth, third, fourth overall pick. So. He's ma- he's going to make more money on his rookie contract than a lot of guys who are a lot better than him that are on their second contract. So yeah, for him, it probably it the NFL probably seems really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that and I think the Texans are in dead last. I mean, they they still have Lamar Miller, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. he's he's thirty. He's he's over thirty. He's on the wrong side of thirty. He hasn't really been that productive for the past couple of years um yeah i think the texans are probably in last place uh, with that said the texans i mean they've got a good offensive attack um you know some of the different things they can do maybe they don't need a premier running back but i feel like the colts and titans are are one and two however you want to split those up yeah and and the thing with the texans too is even apart from lamar miller they have a terrible offensive line so yep. Uh, yep. so you really you can't have a a mediocre back behind a dreadful offensive line because they're going to have to really work. And it's, it's hard to think that a guy who's that age is going to get really a whole lot of, I mean, it'd be a lot to expect of him to really think that he's going to, going to make something major happen. Um, Given the fact that he's not going to have any holes to run through, he's going to have people who are pretty much eating him up every time he gets the ball. So I would say, I'm sorry. My my favorite part of the uh, the Texans offseason is that they drafted a, a third round player in the first round. That that was the best thing about it. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing him fail. Not I don't want to see him fail. I should I shouldn't say that, but I want to see the Texans fail because they did something stupid. So well, and my also favorite they can apparently land a GM. That's also a pretty funny thing to happen in the offseason. True. True. Yeah. 
Yeah, they've been uh, basically, I mean, T.Y. called them clowns, and they apparently took it as a life goal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, all right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into wide receivers, and that's my section. So I, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to ask myself these questions, so I guess I'll just uh, throw out my ideas here and, and pitch it to you guys and let you guys tell me what you think. Um, one of the things I was thinking about today, so we've kind of – looked at Devin Funchess and thought that I don't, I don't know what your guys thoughts were when when he was brought in I kind of didn't have a strong reaction uh, to the Devin Funchess signing I didn't feel like you know he was a savior or he was just some really I honestly if I, I kind of was thinking they were going to end up re-signing Dontrell Inman just because he was a uh, known quantity Frank Reich knew him seemed to like him Andrew Luck had pretty good chemistry with him um, Zach had put up a stat that he had that luck had something like 140 passer rating, uh, when going to Inman on third down, which is insane. Um, so I kind of had a feeling that he was maybe going to get brought back. So when he didn't and fun just got brought in, I didn't really know what to think. Didn't have strong feelings on it, but I was looking at some numbers today. Uh, his career catch percentage is 51.8%. And that seems pretty problematic. Um, I mean, that's that's over his entire career. Uh, to give you a frame of reference there, Eric Ebron, who was tagged as the guy who couldn't catch anything uh, before coming to Indy, his, um, his drop percentage was 64.6 for the time that he was in Detroit before he got to Indy. So if Funchess can't – does Funchess make this roster? Weird, just crazy. I mean, off the wall question. It seems like a foregone conclusion that he does. Does he maybe not make this roster? I don't think there's a chance he doesn't. Um, I think that he's definitely going to make the roster. One thing I would be really interested. I agree. The the fifty one fifty one point eight percent career catch rate. That's a problem. But I would be really interested to see um, what Cam Newton's other receivers' catch rates were. That's right. They're pretty low low too. They're pretty low. It's definitely a symptom of him not being a very accurate passer as well. But 51%, I mean, that's literally every ball that you throw to him is a 50-50 ball. Uh, That seems like a problem, unless that's exactly what Cam is throwing him. I I guess I don't know. Um, Obviously, Cam. I don't know how long Cam's been playing hurt. Obviously, he's been going through the same kind of stuff that Luck went through. And I don't know that he was as accurate or near as accurate a passer when he began. So, it's understandable that it would be difficult, but it is a little concerning. Uh, hopefully, what I'm what I'm hoping is maybe he's catching, um, maybe Reich is able to get him schemed op- more wide open. Maybe those tight contested catches are a problem. And if he's more open, like I mean, Ebron was so wide open so many times this past year <laughs> that it was it was really kind of pitch and catch. I mean, it was a very easy uh, process that if you drop the ball, it's definitely on you because nobody's having to work that hard because the scheme is doing a lot of that hard work for you. So maybe in that situation, he's able to succeed, but I kind of had been taking for granted that he's just going to step in and be a big contributor. And I'm wondering if I just needed to have a gut check moment and go, "Uh, I don't know. Let's hold the phone here on, on how good he can be until we start to see some production. Um, High hopes for him. Hope he does well. But And I could be wrong about this, but wasn't Ebron's uh, catch percentage roughly the same last year as it was in Detroit? Like, not a whole it lot. It was lower. It was, it was actually lower. 
Yeah, 60% was his catch rate for last year, which was wow. lower than the last three years. I think the only year that he had worse catch percentage was his rookie year. So we could probably chalk a lot of that up to scheme. Um, you know, using him properly uh, in the red zone and whatnot, which, you know, ultimately got his his touchdown production up and things like that. So that, that's really, that's interesting to me. I had not seen that number for a while, but I thought they were pretty similar. Yeah, some of that's narrative with being a first round pick and yeah. ex- the expectations being sky high. Uh, but also when you catch touchdowns, people forget people about, forget about the other it, yeah. big drops. I mean, if you catch four, if you catch 13 touchdowns and run one in, people don't worry as much about some of the passes that you drop. Also, when your team wins, that stuff kind of gets real quiet, too. And the Lions were not experiencing that. So obviously, yeah. um, I mean, if, if he drops a pass that you know, means the game's over or something like that in a critical point, you're going to hear people complain about it and it's going to be more of a narrative. But I think, I think because of the way things went this season, it probably helped uh, Mm -hmm. smooth some of that over as well. That's going to be interesting to watch this season. Sorry to derail this into tight ends, which I'll talk about later, but that was interesting. We'll definitely, we'll definitely jump into uh, more Eric Ebron talk, but um Another question that I had, and, and I've got all these, you know, hostile. It sounds like I'm taking shots at this wide receiver group, but uh, one of the questions that I started thinking about is, you know, can Ty stay healthy in 2019 because he's going to turn 30 this season, and he is 183 pounds, and he has always managed to succeed because of both his technical ability and also his speed, and he's really become a very polished route runner and just a very good player overall but he is undersized at the receiver position and he spent most of the last part of the season hurt and it's probably a fair question to ask now not nobody's going to question his toughness he played through those injuries he's played really well through those injuries but it's fair to ask that at 30 years old is he going to be able to stay healthy for a season or should we just expect ty to kind of be perpetually banged up more so even than what is normal for I mean, football players are always playing hurt, but what do you guys think? I mean, as a general rule, I've always said uh, you don't get healthier as you get older. And I think that rings true Mm -hmm. in life and with football, too. Um, You know, I I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that T.Y. comes out, puts together a healthy year, plays 16 games, has an insane career year, goes out and, you know, it ends up being Super Bowl MVP. That's what I hope for mm-hmm. T.Y. Hilton this year. Now, do I think that it's realistic that he plays 16 games? No, not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of laid it all out. He's he's undersized. He's over 30. I went on vacation uh, a few weeks back, and my nephews, um, who are they're, uh, 6 and 10, uh, they asked me nonstop questions about the Colts, and they asked me about T.Y. Hilton because he's their favorite player. And the look of heartbreak that those boys had on their face when I told them T.Y. Hilton probably wasn't going to play that much longer because he's almost 30. Um, and then I realized it and I was like, Oh my gosh, he's, he's almost 30. Like this is, we're almost to the end of T.Y. Hilton. And that, that's, that really sucks. sucks. Like it, 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 yeah, it's not a lot of fun, but it's, it's realistic. I mean, that's, it is what it is. Well, I would hope that we can get the depth in that group where we can have him sit those games out when he's got 45 high ankle sprains. You know, we don't need him to play in that condition. Um, That's where we really need to get to. And I don't know if that room is a hundred percent there yet, or I don't think it's even close to there yet because we have some Mm -hmm. unknown quantities there. 
but hopefully towards the end of the season, we can start to see some of those people that can step in and not require him to be in that position more often. They really need that player that T.Y. basically uh, took over that role when he first joined the Colts. You know, he was kind of the number two guy and under underrated and nobody really knew what to expect from him. And Reggie was still the man. And, and then Reggie was able to kind of recede into the background as he started to age. That's what they need is somebody to kind of step into that role over the next year or two because they're going to need him to – and he's still going to be a very talented player. But if he has to put up twelve to 1,400 yards for the team to win, that's going to be a problem in, at 32. Yep. Um, and it, it could be a problem before then. But, I mean, Reggie started declining at 34, and he's a lot bigger guy uh, and I think probably took fewer big hits – Maybe uh, in at the at this stage, at least in of his career, he wasn't taking hits like T.Y. can uh, took this past season. I mean, I watched uh, briefly in one of the games with the Texans as I was trying to find some sound bites for this episode and watched him take a hit that I was like, oh, my gosh, man, if somebody hit me like that, I would be asleep for like a week and I would wake up feeling like I wanted to go back to sleep. So, um so, I mean, I, I kind of had been taken for granted that T.Y. is just going to be T.Y., but like you said, you kind of have that epiphany of, oh, man, he's he's going to be 30 this season. This is, you know, we're in the, we're at the backstretch here of T.Y. Hilton. Um, I, I so think he's one of the smartest about those hits, too. Um, yeah. That, you know, it, it, and league-wide, uh, you know, he, some people have given him some flack for it, but I never have thought that way. Like, exactly, he's 180-whatever pounds soaking wet, and lay down if you don't need to take that hit and he'll take the hit if if it means you know getting them where they need to be but if you don't have to don't take it and I think that will help him extend his career for such a small guy as he can sure Marvin Harrison was the king of that I mean he did it all the time and and avoided contact I mean he would disappear as two guys were coming across to to connect in the middle and he would just be gone because he'd hit the deck and and it's what needs to be done so uh, I hope he stays healthy I'm not sure what to think about that but I hope that the Colts don't put too much they they can't put the same kind of burden on him that they did this past year they need other receivers to step up Um, which leads me to these other two guys that are on my list and I want to move through this because we we got caught reminiscing about how great T.Y. is and we let this uh, my section go along whose fault is that the guy who's uh asking the questions to himself like an idiot. We're just going to rip through producers, um, aren't we? This is getting rough. These, this producer, yeah, this next producer, he's just as bad as the first. We're going to have to fire him too. Um, so Paris Campbell and Dion Kane are both going to be in their first year. Now, obviously, Kane is technically in his second year, but this is his first year to really hopefully get a crack at actually some playing time. Guy who looked pretty exciting in training camp and who's coming off an ACL tear. So we don't really know what to expect from him. Um and, you know, Campbell, we've got some questions. We know kind of what he can do. We don't know if there's more to what he can do. And um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what these guys are able to contribute in terms of offense. But I, I want to ask you guys, what do you think? Uh, and um, correct me, hopefully I didn't. Uh, I was planning notes for all this stuff. So I hope I didn't ask this question on the last show. So if I did, just tell me that. Yeah, I'm an idiot and we'll move on. Uh, what would it take for Paris Campbell's season to feel successful? Like what, what numbers numerically, what would you feel like was a successful season for Paris Campbell? I think, I mean, 
so for me, it's not going to take it's not going to take a lot for me to feel good about Paris Campbell's rookie year. Um, but I'm I have really unpopular opinions about development and especially the the wide receiver position and how long it should probably take guys uh, to put put up big numbers. I think that if Paris Campbell has somewhere around thirty catches, maybe four hundred yards, I think that that's realistically probably upper tier of what we can expect out of him. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Hope, I mean, hopefully I am. Hopefully Paris Campbell goes out and has a huge year, but I think that I think probably 30 catches 400 yards is uh, that's asking, that's asking for a lot out of a, of a, you know, a rookie wide receiver coming into an offense with, with Andrew Luck, with T Y Hilton. I think that he'll be put into a role that he'll be able to succeed, but I just, I really don't expect him to, to blow the doors off the thing right from the jump. I'm kind of in the same boat there. I mean, we, there's still a lot of unanswered questions about him a lot from how he was used uh, in college. And so, you know, what is his, you know, um, deep catch ability, things like that. So I, I think that's a, a pretty solid prediction of the, of the upper end there. Well, and the other thing too, is it's, it's very possible that he ends up getting kick return duties, which would definitely make him even yeah. more valuable. And depending on how he does there, he could really have a big impact without having, I mean, 400 yards. And if you have a solid year kick uh, returning kicks, that's a really solid rookie season for a guy mm-hmm. who you know, is just trying to kind of get his his foot in the door um, and make an impact there. So I kind of so I got you know real quick because I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, Shepard's take. I think I already know where he's at on this. So I'm going to ask Jim first. Uh, what same question, but Dion Kane, what what should we expect or should we expect anything given that he's coming back from injury? Should we just what are what should our expectations be for this guy? Uh, my expectations are pretty low. I think a lot of it because of the injury. Um, you know, we're just now going to be exactly what a year after that tear. Um, and, you know, we just saw Malik Hooker come back from that and how long it took him to get into what seemed to be full swing again. Um, so if, if he, I'm assuming he'll make the team. Uh, I think he'll, I don't think he'll get used as much. So, you know, putting numbers on it, I'm not really sure. Uh, Maybe 15, 20 catches at most. Um, 200 plus yards ish in that area. I mean, it just, Basically, fourth, fourth or fifth yeah. string receiver. Yeah, back, because basically, he's he's not going to be at full health when the season starts. I mean, he he'll be ready to play, but he's not going to be what we potentially. We're not going to see the potential I think we saw in training camp last year. And I got to actually go see him in training camp before he got injured, and there was some some good stuff um, to watch there. So I'm excited to see what he can eventually do. And maybe towards the end of the season, we start to see more of that. But I just think with, with the injury, yeah, he's going to be at the bottom of the death chart there and he's just not going to see as many snaps and he's not going to be at, you know, full health until probably mid season or so. So you don't have to elaborate on this, uh, Shepard, because we are, uh, burning through time on this uh, category, but I do want to ask yes or no, uh, because I I've have the feeling you're not riding the cane train. Uh, does he make the team? No, 
no. Yeah, that's kind of what I expected that you would say. Uh, and I and I wanted to make I you go- say it so that all the Colts fans would curse your name and everything. I wanted yeah. to make you have to- <laughs> Yeah, it's super unpopular. But I mean, if we're if we're just if we're going to look at it logically, and I won't go into it, I won't waste any time because the end of the story is no. Um, but if you break it down logically and you don't think about it emotionally, the answer is no. I don't think he's going to be on this team. I hope I hope I'm wrong. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's great. But no, the answer is no. I don't. And that's why I led with assuming he makes the team, because if he does, that's the only place I could see him at this point. Excellent. So, um, so you heard it here first. Jim and and Shepard both hate Deion Kane and think that he (laughs) was a little failure. That's that's the takeaway. Um, Don't pay no attention to the reality of what was said. Just that's the takeaway. Just remember that. That's all they um, need. All right. So that's right. So so um, real quick, because we don't want to neglect them entirely. Who is is there a is there a bubble player uh, that you think maybe makes this team that wasn't all the time? Is there a guy? So a couple of the guys, of course, this is my category. So I don't want to throw this at you entirely. Ashton Doolin and Penny Hart are both guys that uh, were brought in as uh, rookie undrafted free agents that are kind of maybe getting some some headlines as guys that maybe could do something. Uh, Penny Hart's a real small guy, 5'8". Uh, I, I think he doesn't make the team, but I wonder if he if he doesn't make a team uh, because I just think the role that he fills is a little is a little weird. But is there anybody uh, that comes to mind that you think could be on this team that wasn't or a guy that maybe is going to be gone uh, from this wide receiver room? Because this is kind of the room that's maybe the most unsettled of any group on the roster. And maybe I'm wrong in that assessment, but that's kind of my feeling is that the receiver room is the the most open at this point. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that it is fairly open. You know, those last couple spots that are going to fill out um, Colts fans at least Colts fans on the internet uh, seem to hate Chester Rogers and I don't get it. Um, I agree. Chester Rogers isn't ever going to, he's not going to be our, our, you know, wide receiver one. We, we should never want that, but Chester Rogers has been really productive. He's been a really solid, not spectacular, but he's been solid. Um, in my opinion, I think that, you know, Chester Rogers is going to be that third or fourth guy. Uh, I think that it is, you know, like you said, pretty unsettled. I think that we could see a guy come in. Um, maybe it is Dion Kane. I don't think so, but maybe, um, you know, so, but I think you're right. I think that it is a pretty unsettled room. It's a little ridiculous that the Chester Rogers hate, because I mean, it's, you would think we spent like a third round draft pick on the guy, mm-hmm. He's an undrafted free agent, um, who we just picked up. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, why, why? I mean, let's give the guy a break. He's, he's doing really well considering the odds of, of making it this long in the league coming from where he came from not everybody is Kenny Moore folks they can't all be amazing as an undrafted free agent so um so what is your guys feeling on how this receiver room stacks up inside the AFC South I'm curious to know I will oh I'll go ahead and tell you mine because this is supposed to be you know my category here I think that um I think the Texans have the best wide receiver room in the AFC South assuming health uh, which is a big if because you haven't had uh, Will Fuller play an entire season. I don't think he's played a full season since he's gotten to the NFL. And then you had uh, a very small sample size from guy whose name is now completely escaped my brain. Um, 
Uh, oh, good grief. This happened to me last episode. Jonathan Hankins, by the way, <laughs> yeah. was the defensive lineman I couldn't think of in the last episode. Super valuable to all of you who have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, but Welcome anyway, this week's Guess What Chris is Thinking <laughs> segment. Is, yes, that's right. This is this is that part of the show. Um, you can guess which Texans receiver I'm thinking of. But DeAndre Hopkins, in my opinion, is the best receiver in football. And so if you're talking about that receiver room, and Will Fuller is very talented when he's healthy, if all three of those guys are healthy, um, I think they're number one. And I'm not sure that the Colts, I think the Colts and the Titans maybe are in a pretty close uh, lock for number two, but I think because T.Y. is, in my mind, a superstar, even if not, you know, to the level that DeAndre Hopkins is, I I think that puts the Colts at two. Um, And the Jaguars are, you know, woefully bad at the bottom of that list. So what what are your guys' thoughts on those? I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I think, I mean, it's tough because for all we know, the Titans have the best wide receiver core in football and they don't have anyone (laughs) to throw the ball to them. So we don't know. Um, But I think that, I mean, you know, if I had to rank them, I would rank them Texans, Colts, Titans, Jags. Um, I think I'm in the same boat. Same thing with the Titans. Like they keep telling us they have somebody to throw them the ball. He's just not there most of the time. Right. And when he is, I mean, you know, (laughs) Has he? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, he he runs into sacks and then cuts himself <laughs> shaving, and you know he's out for six weeks right. or whatever. Right. I mean, he the guy still can't feel his arm. Yeah. Probably, I don't know whatever right. thing he was dealing with. It's yeah, it's it's all kinds of a mess. Uh, so they, I mean, I think they have, they got better, but like you said, until you have a, a real threat to throw to, and it's uh, Kiki Cutie is the guy's name. Who? Um, oh yeah, that dude Taurus. Uh, and. He he ate the Colts up a little bit in that first meeting, and then he was hurt for yep. almost all the rest of the season. So, um, so really hard to say. But I think I think the Colts are pretty close to the top there. But there's a lot still that's unknown, and we've been optimistic about that receiver group before. So I guess we'll have to wait and see um, exactly how that shakes out. All right, uh, we're going to go really quick and hear from uh, hear from one of our sponsors, guys, and we'll be right back. Okay, guys, I want to talk to you about TickPick. TickPick is a great way to get tickets to see the Colts or any other sports, music, or entertainment event of your choice. Not only will you save 10 to 15% off every ticket order, you can do it without any annoying fees at checkout. Think StubHub, but without the fees. Just head to TickPick.com, select your seats, and head to checkout. Get on your way to the next Colts game with TickPick. All right, guys, we're back. Um... Okay, we already talked a little bit about Eric Ebron, but we're going to jump into tight ends. And um, and Jim, I asked you the same question about the quarterbacks, and I think that, that the answer is probably the same. But uh, is this the best yes. tight end group in football? We good. I'm just going to keep recycling <laughs> yeah, that joke. Moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in, in all seriousness, of course, you know, that question at first glance sounds a little absurd because you say, is this the best tight end group in football? Well, I mean, I don't think that we have the best exactly. tight end in football, but as a unit, I think that's probably, I mean, who would, if, if you were even going to pitch one out, who would you guys say is competitive in terms of, of a room? And, and is it because of more than one guy? That's a good question. I think maybe, I mean, you could maybe make the argument that the Eagles have a more talented room or it's kind of right there with, yep. with Ertz and then, um, oh, the, the, 
he was a rookie last year and just we're yeah. going to play guess what Chris is thinking, but this time it's with Shepard. Um, yeah. I can't think of the guy's name, but he, he had he a pretty was good a, season a high pick last year. Um, like they were both pretty decent in general. And so I, I would, that would be my argument as well. The Eagles would be the closest thing as a group. Um, yeah. But, and, and mm-hmm. you were spot on there, uh, Blystone with, you know, I'm, we're not saying the best single tight end we're talking about all around. And when you look at the versatility of Jack Doyle and then, you know, just the pure, you know, red zone threat that Ebron was last year. Um, I, and then throw in Mo Ali Cox who made some spectacular catches and they really like uh, in the blocking scheme also. Uh, so he brings more of that versatility to the, to the group again. Uh, yeah, I, I just can't find another argument. You know, the three, you know, the top three tight ends we've got are pretty damn good as a whole. And we've got two of them who uh, can kind of do anything we ask them to do. So, um, you know, not just in the passing game, but also in the running game as well. So, yeah, I, I think they are the best group in the league. And it's hard to underrate the fact that we have a coach who really likes mm-hmm. and knows how to use tight ends and a quarterback who, like as we talked about in the last episode, exclusively throws yeah. tight ends and T.Y. <laughs> well, so, and then that, that same coach. It's certainly a co- co- coach. I can't speak today. Coach the same tight end group we we're saying is, you know, maybe the equal of this group or close to the equal of this group. So there's, you know, right. there's kind of a reason why these all kind of seem to fit together. The, and the answer to you, yeah, Oh, were you, were you going to go ahead and I was, give I was, the answer? Yeah, I was going to go, go for it. Okay. All right. No. So the, if for those people playing at home, guess what Chris is thinking? The answer to the last one was oh, Dallas Goddard. So <laughs> check your bingo card because by by week five, we'll be giving away, uh, I don't know, free subscription to yeah. StampyBlue.com. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was looking for Reader's Digest, but uh, Stampy Blue will work just fine, I guess. Don't promise that because then we'll have to pay for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Um, guess what? Guess what Chris is thinking? That was a joke, and he will not really be purchasing Reader's Digest for you. Um, So Doyle had a rough season last year. He, uh, What was probably the most memorable moment for him in the season was his fumble against the Bengals. Mm -hmm. Um, He is also not young. Um, What kind of season should we – what what do we expect from Jack Doyle? Is he going to be back? Is he going to have some linger? I mean, he had a hip injury, which is not nothing when you're 30 years old. Um, well, I mean, what do we expect from Jack Doyle this year? Um, well, we, before you know the what, lacerated kidney, <laughs> um, which is a weird thing that oh, yeah. we seem to be dealing with with this team several times with two different players. Um, he, he was starting to look more like Jack Doyle again. Uh, so if, if he can come in healthy and we don't know what that's going to be yet, they, they said he's going to be ready to go for training camp. So, you know, let's, let's hope that's the case. Um, but if he comes back in that form, I think it's going to be massive. Um, I think specifically in our running game, um, 
the blocking is is key uh, with Jack Doyle. Um, and I think when you know when healthy, he's possibly the most well-rounded tight end in the league. If, if he's not the most well-rounded, he is at the top of the list and in that discussion. Um, so if if he comes back to form, his impact will be massive. The injuries are going to be the the concern there, um, and and we just don't know yet because like I said we, we've heard he's ready for training camp, but training camp isn't here yet, so we don't know the status of that. Okay, so I'm going to put both of you guys on the spot here um, because both Ebron and Doyle are in contract years. So without having seen this season, without knowing anything other than uh, you know past history, what their ages are, uh, Doyle has actually just turned 29, so he's not 30. I defamed his honor there. Um, but uh, without any other knowledge, who are you re-signing? Go ahead, uh, start off, Jim. But who are you re-signing uh, – Ebron or Doyle, if you can only re-sign one of them. Based, and why. based off the versatility, I'm going to go with Doyle. Okay. Shepard? Yeah. So um, I'm going to go with Ebron. Uh, and so the reason is, is that, in my opinion, you can find a replacement for Jack Doyle's skill set easier than you can find a replacement uh, for Eric Ebron's skill set. That's not to say that I don't like Jack Doyle. Um, but you know, he is like Chris said, he's almost 30. Uh, he's a, a very good blocker and he, you know, he does everything right. He doesn't, he doesn't do a lot wrong. Um, and that's, that's what makes Jack Doyle special. He works really hard. The guys in the locker room, you listen to them. If you listen to Pat McAfee, talk about Jack Doyle, Jack Doyle has deified, or I'm sorry, he has been deified in the locker room as just this this dude who works hard, nose to the grindstone, and just does everything the right way. So that's not to be overlooked. But with that said, just from if we're in a world where we can only re-sign one, whether it's Eric Ebron or Jack Doyle, I think that Eric Ebron has a much more difficult to find set of skills just with his athleticism uh, than what Jack Doyle gives you. I think that Jack Doyle will would and will be missed whenever it is he you know he rides off into the sunset but um you know i think that ebron's more difficult to replace at this point and i think moali cox is the wild card here you know they really sure. like him and he shows the you know he shows a lot of the same traits and versatility that doyle does and they like him in in the blocking scheme so yeah i mean if you just put me on the spot that's what i'm going to go with but i think the season's going to tell a lot especially with how they're going to use mo alley cox yeah, I think the, the interesting thing about Mo Ali Cox is that they have talked repeatedly about how he's picked up well on blocking schemes, uh, mm-hmm. and he's he's a, a raw player. I mean, he's a basketball guy first and foremost. So really, you'd expect him to be the guy who is uh, an asset in the passing game, and he's done really well in blocking. So he could be the Jack Doyle plus, uh, and it certainly doesn't hurt that Ebron is four years younger than Doyle, so it's hard, yep. mm-hmm. uh, hard to see. I don't see them re-signing Doyle. I think he's gone after this season, uh, and that would – you know, would be one of those things that's you know, that kind of sucks. But at the same time, um, Ballard, it, well, you can't be sentimental and continue to win uh, football games. It's it's sort of a sucky reality. But at least from the front office perspective, you got to let guys go when they stop uh, being useful as players. And that's hard for fans to do, which is why it's good that we're not the ones running the show. Um, OK, so. Over under on Eric Ebron, 10 touchdowns, 700 yards. Jim, what do you think? 
uh, I think we talked about this quite a bit in the last episode. And I think just from a logistical standpoint, under. On both. Yeah. On both. Okay. What do you think, Shepard? See, I think that I feel like that 710 is like a really good mark for him. Um, I think that with – so if Doyle can stay healthy, it might eat into some of those yards. Um, I still think that he's really valuable in the red zone. And when Andrew Luck gets to the red zone, um, he's looking for a guy wearing an 80 number that is over six foot four and weighs more than 250 pounds. So I feel like that he's, I feel like that 10, that 10 touchdown marks really good. But if I, if you, if you're going to hold, hold my feet to the fire, I'm going to say he goes over 10 touchdowns on the year. And that's what I was saying. Like 10 is where I was predicting the last episode. And so if you're going to hold my feet, I'm going to go with the under because I thought 10 was kind of 10 to 12 was the ceiling, but I'm kind of hovering more around the 10. All right. Well, I feel good about that, about uh, those numbers that I chose. I'm glad to make you squirm a little bit. All right. Um, Okay. So Shepard, jump us into this next category. I've been, uh, I know that you are a student of this. I've been uh, learning more and more about offensive line play. Probably the biggest gap for most football fans in terms of understanding is on the, on the line and, on both sides, but at least with defensive line, we kind of understand uh, what a player's job is and what, what it looks like when they're doing it right. Offensive line is sort of a mystery. So was this line as good as they looked? Was this a, was this a one-off? Was this scheme or what, what, what was the deal with this offensive line? That's now getting all these accolades. So in my opinion, uh, this is the best offensive line that the Indianapolis Colts have had since sometime before Peyton Manning played. I, so I don't remember a lot of football before Manning. Uh, I remember Jim Harbaugh. I remember Captain Comeback. But I was I was little. I was too young to really understand what I was seeing. I just knew it was really exciting. And uh, if you had to, if you had to really make me say it, I would probably say that I don't care what the replay showed. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts caught the ball in the AFC Championship game against the Steelers, and they should have gone to the Super Bowl. I know they didn't; the ball hit the ground, but that, that's all I remember. So, as far as Manning era to the Luck era, this is the best offensive line they've ever had. Um, it's really, it, it was kind of amazing to watch last year, um, but. Between Ryan Kelly being mostly healthy, um, Quentin Nelson is as good as advertised. I think that he had some struggles uh, in the past game, uh, and he had some he had some technique issues. Um, there's no problem at all with Quentin Nelson mentally. There's no problem with Quentin Nelson physically. Um, but when you go from blocking 18 to 22, 23-year-olds in college to going against you know, 25, 26, 27-year-old NFL all pros you're going to have there's there's going to be a gap there for anybody I don't care how good you are Quentin Nelson is as good as advertised but he's he's going to get better which is crazy um but he he is going to improve um and then Anthony Costanzo Anthony Costanzo has gotten more hate from Indianapolis Colts fans than he has ever deserved to get is he a top three left tackle no but he is an above average left tackle, and that is really, really hard to find. Uh, and so, between those three guys on the left side, and the fact that Braden Smith somehow came in and was good at right tackle when 
by all accounts, even from what I saw, I didn't think the guy could play tackle. And then he came mm-hmm. in and he did pretty well. And they did scheme some things away from him a little bit. Um, but he, he still held his own. He's going to get better too. Uh, I don't think that he is, um, he's obviously not as physically talented as the guys on the left side, but he's still a very good, very good young tackle. Uh, and I think that he's going to continue to grow too. the one guy on the line that I'm not sold on. I'm just not is Mark Lewinsky. Um, I now that's not to say he played bad cause he didn't, he played great, but he did it one time, one year. Uh, and he's got, he's got to prove to me that he can do it again. Um, obviously with the guys that he's got next to him, the, the other guys on that offensive line, his job should be a lot easier than what it would be if he played to less played next to lesser players. Um, but you know, if he if he continues to go out and play the way that he did last year, the Colts' offensive line is in great shape. I do think that the right guard position could be upgraded, uh, but you know, it's certainly not something that we need to worry about for the next couple of years. It, the, the future is very bright on the offensive line. I've never understood the Costanzo hate myself either. Yeah. I mean, if, if just overall reliability, you know, outside of this last season, the dude has been one of the most steadfast healthy players on the team and 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 that says a lot for an offensive lineman and you saw it last season too when he came back healthy and he played again the offense i don't know if people remember but the offense was completely different they could actually run their offense because they weren't having to constantly protect luck with a, a a one step drop back so that he wasn't getting nailed because somebody was running around what, what, what was his name again? Uh, the next segment of guess what Chris is thinking? Uh, <laughs> is it Jamarcus, Jamarcus Webb? Was that? I mean, I think it was Webb. Yeah. Jamarcus, so I mean, there was a whole rotating play, cast. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't play terrible. I don't want to throw him under the bus for what he was. He was okay, but when Costanzo came back, the offense worked. And, uh, you know, it just, it really goes to show you, you're right. He doesn't, he hasn't deserved any of the hate that he gets, but he's, you know, for whatever reason, people seem to think that we could just upgrade him. And that's not, that's not a thing. It's not easy to do. No, you're not just going to go out and plug Mm -hmm. any rookie, you know, especially if we're going to, you know, hopefully going to be picking, you know, as late in the draft as we hope we're going to be for the next several years you're not going to go find the left tackle that's consistent as Costanzo just to plug in there at any time. You're not going to find one uh, in free agency either. Right. What's what's really crazy is if you if you remember the beginning of the first the first five games of the season, LaRaven Clark, Joe Haig, Jamarcus Webb all started at at tackle on one side or the other, and uh, I believe that we also had um, we had like two or three other guys that, that spent time on offensive line before the, this, the, uh, that lineup sort of settled. And that was week five after uh, through week five. And then in week six against the jets was Costanzo's first game. And that started the five game stretch without any sacks allowed. So yeah, uh, give the guy hate somewhere else. I don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm a fan. He's not, like you said, he's not, you know, the best in the business or anything, but certainly a very good tackle and has been very helpful to the Colts. Uh, and we saw a noticeable difference in the way the offense worked, like you said, uh, and the effectiveness of the team on offense as a whole when he got back. So, um, so interesting thing that happened in the off season is that Howard Mudd joined the Colts coaching staff uh, as I believe his title is a senior offensive assistant, but for all intents and purposes, the guy's brought in to work with the offensive line uh, because that's what he's he's done for 40 some years. So what do you think the impact is of having Howard Mudd in there with the Colts 
uh, I, I, I've got a, a really cool quote here um, that he, you know, because he, he did talk about Quentin Nelson and uh, I'll, I'll read that real quick and then tell me what you think in terms of overall impact of having Howard Mudd there. But he, so this was his quote about Quentin Nelson. So he said, he's learning this year to be an athlete before contact. That's what we're charging him with. Think about yourself as an athlete first. All that strength and power and aggressiveness, which is great, will come if you're in the right position and you've got the man leveraged and your hands are in the right place and you start moving your feet. It's over for them because you've got so much talent. So pretty much seems like to me exactly what you said about Quentin Nelson is he's been able to manhandle everybody he's come he's come across, including some guys at the NFL level, a lot of them. And he's been able to do that just because he's an athletic freak. But it seems like that task is let's hone and uh, polish his actual technique because then he'll just dominate anybody he comes across. Right. Yeah. And so when you watch Nelson last year, actually early on in the year, he got better as the year went on. He progressed in season. Um, You could watch him early on. He wasn't necessarily moving his feet the way that he needed to be moving his feet. And he did this in college too, but because he was so good at absolutely everything else, nobody really talked about. Actually, I don't want to toot my own horn, but in my scouting report that I wrote on him for Stampede Blue, um, I mentioned this and I remember um, Brett Mock, when he read it, he said, you know, I haven't seen anybody say that about him, but okay, we'll go with it. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, he, he did it. And then he came out and he, he was doing that. He wasn't really moving his feet the way that he needed to be. But as the season went on, he began to position himself better and better and better. And, you know, in that game against Cincinnati, um, you saw him against Geno Atkins. There were a couple of times where he, he played himself out of position. And then because he is such a good athlete, because he is so strong, he got himself back into position, but he wasn't always able to, to save the block from, you know, or he wasn't able to keep Geno Atkins from, from winning the down. Um, but again, he got better as the season went on. And I think with what Howard Mudd's looking to do, not only with him, obviously he's looking to do it with everybody, but, um, with Nelson specifically, he wants him to be in that good position to worry about getting where he needs to be. The contact's coming, um, get him where he needs to be, get your guys framed up. And then as soon as you're in a good position, that guy can't, that guy's not going to be able to get around you. Uh, and I think that that's what Howard Munn means there. Um, you know, uh, when, when they brought Howard Mudd in, I was excited because I think Howard Mudd's a great coach, but they were so good last year. Um, you know, I've said for a long time that uh, all the if you look at the NBA and I know I'm kind of going off the rails here, but you, you look at the guys who are always considered the best coaches of all time. Well, man, it's really easy to be the best coach of all time when you've got Michael Jordan, you've got Kobe Bryant and Shaq like, you know, so it's just it's kind of that same thing. I think Howard Mudd is a great coach. Um, but he's got some really great talent to work with here. So we could be seeing a really special offensive line. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, I think that it is going to get better. And if nothing else, Howard Mudd is, has walked into the perfect situation for, for him and for this line. Well, and one of the things that, and you guys probably remember this, but Stephen Holder wrote a really great piece uh, for The Athletic where he kind of talked about the actual protection uh, meetings that Frank Reich is a part of. Uh, during last season. And I found that to be really interesting that that wasn't the norm, but that the entire offense sits in on these protection meetings uh, to really get a great handle on how they're going to protect Andrew, how they're, what are, you know, what are they all supposed to be doing on every play? And I think for those people who are worried that uh, because they, you know, 
you know, changed offensive line coaches and, and, you know, shuffled some things up there that maybe that could affect. I think for those people who are worried about that, that should ease your mind because the head coach was involved all year long in all of the protection planning. And um, so I don't anticipate a drop off. I think, I think you indicated this several times, but we, we may even see a better group. Right. I, I agree. I think that, I think that the arrows pointing up and, um, you know, I think that Howard Mudd certainly can help that, but I think that the, the arrows pointing up just because of, of the youth of most of the offensive line, I think they're going to get better and play better as a unit the longer they play together, no matter what. All right, guys. Well, we have still managed to go long. I, I, maybe this is more than normal. Um, maybe an hour is what we should be targeting in the first place. Uh, this is already, I knew from the outset, this was going to be a little bit longer show because uh, digging through every position group and we still didn't even you know get to some guys that I was hoping we'd talk about uh, in terms of some guys on the fringe. We'll deal more with that as we get into training camp and have time to give some uh, some airtime to some of those guys who are in you know the position battles toward the bottom of the the depth chart but um so real quick kind of some final thoughts where are you putting this offense in terms of uh relation to the rest of the league and and i don't need you to give me a specific number but i mean if you're if you're putting it in terms of a you know a general position uh ranking jim where do you rank this offense approximately in terms of the rest of the league um well, I, I think if if the ground game comes along like they think it's going to, and we see some of our wide receivers step up, I mean, I think we could be top five. Uh, you know, maybe high end of that, but at least you know, at least in you know the fifth spot, if not more. Um, I think bare minimum, it's a top ten offense as it as it stands now but i i think if everything clicks like they want it to we're looking at top five for sure yeah that makes sense yeah, I mean, I, there's there's definitely stuff to make me believe that could be possible what do you think shepherd yeah i agree i think um i think top five is is probably accurate i think in a world where uh, the kansas city chiefs and and la rams exist it's you know top three might be uh might be kind of tough um but, you know, with that said, I think that that's probably, uh, like Jim said, upper end. I think top three could be realistic. I think – I hope that the defense is going to be pretty good this year so we're not going to have to try to score, you know, 35, 40 points a game like the Chiefs are going to have to do. Um, so, you know, hopefully – hopefully, honestly, hopefully our offense isn't top three. Hopefully it's top five when we win a bunch of games anyway. <laughs> I, I think that's – I think that's where I fall. I, I, I have like – seven or eight in my brain in terms of where I kind of think they're going to fall because I do, I am still a little skeptical about the receiver room. Um, and you know, until, until they kind of prove that they can, can pull a little bit more weight. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on TY and I know that we have a good tight end room, uh, and running back. So there, there should be the ability to produce there, but I think that combined with, like you said, uh, what is hopefully a more competitive defense means the offense maybe isn't, quite up there with some of those teams that really need uh, their offense to, to score a lot of points and you also have the possibility that, that the Packers could uh, could kind of come back a little bit if you've got Aaron Rodgers healthy uh, I, I'm not high on them as a team in general but uh, a healthy Aaron Rodgers means that maybe that offense they don't have a lot in their receiver room and we're not here to talk about the Packers but uh, so I won't open that can of worms uh, any more than I already did um, 
just for uh, future I don't know. reference, I'm never here to talk about the Packers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally fair. Um, and I mean, there's there's several offenses I'd be interested to see that could be in that mix for the for the top five. I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts are there. I wouldn't be surprised if they fall just outside of there either. But regardless, if the if they're as balanced as they should be, I think there's no reason. We'll say this, and this is you know totally jumping on on next episode. But I, I think maybe they could be a top ten in, in both categories. And to me, if you can do that, that's a Super Bowl contender. So, um, um, all right. So that's that's really it. I mean, we've we've hit and surpassed the amount of time I'd hope to spend uh, next episode. We are going to do the defensive side of the ball. And then we've got training camp rolling up on top of us here uh, really quickly. And we're going to dig into the training camp schedule and, you know, talk some bubble players and all that fun stuff in a couple of episodes, but hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, as always, if you, if you have any uh, feedback, we'd appreciate hearing about it. Follow us uh, at Chris Blystone, at NFL Scheme, and at Jim Campbell 81 on Twitter. Uh, interact with us there. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about top Disney songs yesterday, so don't let that deter you. I do talk yeah, about other did. things. But uh, I had a heated debate with a couple of people about you know Disney music because I have three daughters and we watch a lot of Disney movies in our house. So uh, I have feelings about these things, but I promise I will not force you to engage in a debate about the best Disney song with me. Um, if it makes you feel better, I just saw that conversation today while I was at Holiday World and I, I was sad that I missed out on it. So I was going to be right there with you. Yeah, it was it was a little ridiculous, and there is that from time to time. You just kind of got to know that you're what you're getting in for. That occasionally you're just going to be like, "Oh, Blystone, just shut up." But um, Moana for the win is what I'm yeah. going to go with. Yeah, yeah, guys, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Outside of football season, I'm the worst tweeter in the world. Uh, and then in season, uh, if I say anything that's not football related, I've, there's probably something seriously wrong with me. You guys need to check on me to make sure I'm okay because that's all Twitter is for. Twitter is just for football, in my opinion. I mean, you know, Chris, you you do you do your Disney thing. That's fine. But for me personally, all I'm doing is Twitter. If somebody tweets too much about basketball, I immediately unfollow them. That's just how it works for me. You know what, Shepard? Yeah. The world would be a better place if Twitter was really just for football. I agree. I it agree. really, it mm-hmm. really would be. All right, guys. Well, um, like, subscribe, give us a rating. We really do appreciate it. I've already seen a couple of them pop up on there. That's that's great, and and we really do appreciate that. Uh, it helps us know that we're trending in the right direction. And uh, reach out to us. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, I assume that we'll continue this uh, what is Chris thinking segment because, you know, Mm -hmm. my brain is not going to get better at, you know, processing information as I age. So uh, that's it. We're out of here. We'll catch you next time to talk defense. And that will be on should be dropping on Wednesday next week. Till then. See you later, guys. Bye. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. 
But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.